My name is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland podcast. I have a fabulous chef with me today, and I always love when I have a woman chef who, you know, kicks ass and takes names, which is exactly who she is. Her name is Chef Dina Altieri, who is the Director of Membership Development at ACF and has quite the storied career in culinary education. Chef, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to have a conversation with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. One of my favorite things about this podcast is that I get to hear all sorts of chef journeys. It's my favorite thing. You guys have the best stories about how you have come to where you are in your careers. So take it away. (laughs) Tell me how it is that you became a chef. What was your thought process? Tell me the journey along the way, all your favorite things that you learned and, you know, anything else that comes up as you go. In two minutes or less, go. Right? <laughs> we got all the time so, in the world. <laughs> yeah, no, so absolutely. So for me, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones who found a passion for culinary arts early on in, in my life. I went to culinary school when I was 18 years old. Um, and I went to a great school, the Culinary Institute of America, where I graduated, um, you know, excited about jumping into kitchens and excited about being an executive chef. So that was my initial pursuit was I wanted to run a kitchen. Um, And in those days, it was like, I want to run a restaurant kitchen. So I essentially started kind of boots on the ground, working my way up, Um, you know, fry station, garmanger station, right, making salads, plating desserts, um, kind of in that um, hot (laughs) Um, difficult Mm -hmm. environment. Um, But I loved it. I really kind of thrived in a somewhat competitive workspace. Um, As you mentioned in the intro was one of a few females, you know, on the line, working Mm -hmm. the line, but I, but I enjoyed that. I actually liked being kind of in a male dominated environment because it was a chance to kind of prove myself, I guess. And I'm competitive in that way. So I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, worked my way up through kitchens and eventually became an executive chef. Um, through all those restaurant kitchens, I actually landed my first executive chef role at a catering company in Los Angeles, California. Um, and that was really cool to kind of be a part of that whole events side. So we were doing so some a whole different high, world. It's a whole different world. Doing some really high profile events and learning, you know, there's the mother of the bride and you know what I mean? She's got a look in her eye and kind of what that meant to be cooking at that level. Um, and we catered for a lot of really great people and have so many stories about the cool people that I got to cook for in that Hollywood realm. Um, Who's your favorite? You know, I cooked for um, a lot of people. You knew George I wasn't going to let that go, right? <laughs> George Harrison was a moment wow. for me to be able to cook for him. And I think for me, what's cool about that is obviously that's insane because I love music and you're like, I cannot believe that I'm being trusted with this. But what was really special about that party was it was a birthday party for his father-in-law. And so like all of a sudden you realize like this man is a person with a, a human being, a, right? Like a spouse yeah. and a dad. And a, it was just really kind of cool. And what was really neat about that event was Linda Ronstadt had her mariachi there Stop. as the, as the performance. I was like, 
you all expect me to cook and be professional in this kitchen right now and run my brigade when these, got George Harrison and Linda Ron like these oh my God. things are happening around me so we were giddy and excited about that but the team to you know kind of succeed in that in that event and enjoy you know enjoy ourselves and have fun and, and they loved it and and so I had the opportunity to cook for some really fun people that were special to me right um and then I started to learn that there was a part of me that wasn't quite being fulfilled in the space of running a kitchen and, and doing food all day. And I started to feel some nostalgia for like culinary school and kind of the academic side of things. And a friend of mine, Chef Robert Danhai, who I will always consider a mentor and a friend, offered me an opportunity to teach part time at a culinary school in Pasadena, California. So I slowly transitioned into education and just fell in love with it and stayed there in that lane as a chef educator in post-secondary education for, I don't know, 21 years or so. Um, Did you find when you were in that executive chef role that you spent a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Not effort. I don't mean to make it sound bad, but a a lot of your time teaching the people on your team, making sure that they, yeah, for sure. I mean, Pretty and you enjoy any, that. Absolutely. Any, a lot of energy. That's where I'm going. Any chef. Yes. Any chef that you talk to on the pastry side, on the savory side is going to tell you that they teach. I mean, that's what we do. You typically mm-hmm. hire someone who is as at the best skill set as possible, right? You're going to hire the best candidate possible, but they don't know how your kitchen is run and there's always nuance and variation. So yeah, we, we are innately, I think, pretty good teachers, but The discipline of being a great teacher was so amazing to learn. And I have the privilege of working with some amazing, amazing educators over the course of of my career as an educator. Um, Because you might get in front of a room and you have, you know, a, a chicken in front of you. And sure, I could show somebody how to break down a chicken, but how do I teach it to them that A, is not intimidating, right? And makes them feel motivated to try because we all know that the first attempt is likely not going to be all that great, (laughs) right? So you have to like become this person who is very mindful and thoughtful about the person on the other end of the delivery. And so then I started really geeking out on assessment mapping and curriculum writing and all that stuff. And so we'll fast forward a little bit. I, I left education in, was it 2016 and pivoted over to the nonprofit sector where I started to teach more. You didn't leave education. You just moved from kind of more classical culinary school to a different type. Exactly. So that sort of structured post-secondary you know, hello, Chef Altieri, right, kind of mode to more of a casual, technical-based, community-based program um, at the Center uh, Center on Halstead, which is the most amazing um, LGBTQ center nonprofit that happened to be running this really cool program called Silver Fork. And I learned about that program because I was a guest of theirs at one of their graduations and just kind of fell in love with the idea that we all as skilled culinarians can share that skill with 
so many people. And so I started to really spend the next five years of my career focusing on increasing access to culinary arts education for the most vulnerable in our communities. And so I started there in Chicago and moved out to Phoenix, Arizona about four and a half years ago and continued on with a nonprofit locally in Phoenix called UMOM New Day Centers, which is a nonprofit that serves the homeless in the community and, and essentially did the same type of work, running a food service operation with a really talented team and then extending educational opportunities to our clients by offering them essentially a culinary boot camp of skills and then helping them gain access to the workplace as a result of graduating from our program. That program um, still successfully running today, it's called Homegrown. Um, and again, just so grateful to be in that space where now the skills that I have are being used in just a slightly different way in that community-based space. Um, and then my current role now as a member of the membership team at ACF National, again, feel really grateful that I'm able to share my expertise, share my knowledge, learn from this amazing community of chef professionals that ACF has and you know grow the membership, strengthen the membership, and then once again, hopefully continue to offer and increase access to educational programming to the community and beyond. I think it's great. So there are there's a lot to unpack in there. And I, I mean I couldn't let the celebrity thing go, you know, at the LA thing, but I have a lot of questions. <laughs> So, I mean, I totally understand why you shifted from point A to point B from an educational perspective. How was working with kind of the traditional culinary school different than once you got into more of the, the community nonprofit area? Yeah. So and obviously you your, my, your students are older. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in the nonprofit space, at least the two experiences that I had, we had students from basically 16 years and older. Oh, wow. So, interestingly, so not necessarily no, yeah, interestingly, even though those would be considered adult programs, um, I did have the opportunity to work with some younger, younger folks. Um, and that's really cool because, again, they have a certain, um, I guess, expectation, um, preconceived notion of what like the teacher is or should be. And so it's fun to kind of break down those barriers, I guess, a little bit and say, we're both learners here. Really, chef? No, seriously. Like, I know you're 17, but the mistakes that you're going to make are going to make me a better teacher. So we're both like approaching this learning thing, like collaboratively. And to be able to express that, explain that, nurture that was really, really cool. And I grew to really enjoy some of those younger students in my class. And then obviously, you know, anybody along their learning trajectory is inspiring to me because we're all learning something. Yeah. Um, and so I'll remember my first um, experience moving from post-secondary to um, the nonprofit world. I came in for my first lecture and I like, I'm a teacher, right? So I know how to do that. So I put in my PowerPoint and I've got my clicker and like, there come my students and now I'm in the nonprofit space. And so my students are from all over Chicago and they're coming to this class, you know, 
you're probably kind of nervous and they probably don't like school because this isn't college. This is a community-based program and blah, blah, blah. And I get up there and I'm super geeked out and I'm wearing my white chef coat. I think I'm wearing my toque and hello, everybody. My name is Chef Altieri. And like within an instant, I totally lost the crowd. They didn't <laughs> care about my PowerPoint. I'm just, and I realized that like, obviously as a teacher, you need to understand your audience. And I was off right? Like I, I needed to shift, which is your question, right? Like I needed to shift from formal traditional chef Altieri, which I love that part of myself. You know, I'm not denying that really maybe sort of strict traditional part of my, 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 my portfolio. These students aren't there yet. Yeah. Or, or that's not really what I'm there to do, right? I'm not really there to teach them the three types of emulsions and prepare them for the quiz and all of that stuff that is representative of a more traditional culinary school program. Really what I'm there to do is help them get a job, right? This is a workforce program and my students are on a fast track to bettering their lives. So what we really need to do is create a curriculum that's distilled down to the most essential stuff that like any chef USA would appreciate somebody knowing, right? So some life of skills. the, yeah, some of that life skills stuff, the soft skills stuff um, became much more of a priority to teach. Like the first time I, we were doing eggs Benedict and I put a bunch of, you know, English muffins on the table. And some people didn't know how to share because when food is an insecurity, Mm -hmm. that isn't something we take for granted. So I was like mesmerized driving home every day from that job. I was like, this is going to be the coolest thing because I need to become a different kind of teacher. Um, And I really appreciate that. That's that motivates me. Not that you go in any, into any experiencing any experience feeling like you know it all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that like, you don't know what you don't know until you realize that correcting someone's Julianne now is a trigger for someone. So my teaching approach became more trauma informed. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, a group of people who have maybe felt, and forgive me for putting words in their mouths, maybe felt never good enough. Correct. So you have to like, you know, teachers who might be listening to this podcast are going to be like, oh, the sandwich method. You know, we always learned as educators to start with something good, fill with something <laughs> that's constructive and then finish with something good. good. Yep. But um, we used to call that a no sandwich. There you go. Same <laughs> idea, right? So it's, but it's like that, that, and then some when you're in a trauma informed teaching space. And so I just loved it. I appreciated that. And, um, and we had a lot of so different than what you, I mean, painting with a very broad sweeping stereotypical brush, you know, that's very different than your typical executive chef mode. Right. Yeah. It's so then, you know, fast forward to a couple of years ago and I'm on Instagram and I'm scrolling around and I noticed there's this really cool movement called fair kitchens. And I start realizing that like, that's where some of the cool kids are hanging out. In other words, really standing up for 
you know, we appreciate the kitchens that we worked in. Mm -hmm. I could tell you stories for hours about the kitchens that I worked in, right? And, And again, I respect that that is my story. But today... I'd really like to see a little, yes, less yelling, right? Or I'd really like to see a little more pay equity, or I'd really like to see, we have a discussion with our cooks about self-care and mental health awareness. And so what I started to realize is that we can make this kitchen a better place for people so that when we recruit the best talent we can find, we retain them and Back to my own story, that's a learned skill as a leader because yeah. that's probably not how we were taught. And so it's not our go-to in the way we're going to train somebody else. But five years, six years spent where I've been working with the most vulnerable in our communities, they are the most, they can be the most loyal employees. But guess what? If it's a, a mom or a dad who's a single parent don't ask them to work a double. They've got to get home to their kids. You know what I mean? It's like- Or ask them, don't demand them to do it. Right, like, so, right. So so that whole piece I'm really passionate about. Um, And I want to bring some more of that, you know, movement to my work in membership with ACF because we're going to build stronger kitchens. We're going to do it. I think yeah. it's great. You, the The topics that you're talking about right now remind me of Mike Matarazzo, who was on, I don't know what episode number, but th- this is his passion as well. The, you know, the he runs a group called Chefs for Change. Um, if you're not in it, you should join it. Uh, but a lot of the same kind of passion topics. Uh, I am in it, by the way. Ah, good. And okay. I love it. And I love it. Small world, right? It is a small world. I love him. Yeah. He's great. So great. Um, but a lot of, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you're there. Like so many, so many interesting conversations happen in there around, you know, what the workplace looks like and what does the pay look like? And are we being treated in a way that's even reasonable? It's been super interesting to kind of watch from the, you know, I'm a wallflower there, not being a chef, but um, I know a lot of the people in the group, obviously through work. And um, I, I just think it's a really fascinating topic. It is very important work, I think, to make space for those types of conversations, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right. I'm going to shift on you. I'm going to make you compare and contrast again. Okay. Favorite student, either success or like teaching moment Mm. from both sides of the teaching spectrum. Oh my goodness. I have a lot of those favorite moments. I think my favorite moment is when I'm on, I'm going to just make it a current example. When I'm on social media and I see one of my students become chef. Ah, yes. That is so cool. That is so cool. Especially if that student struggled, you know, so where sometimes as an educator, you're like, really? Like, I'm not sure if the student's going to make it, you know, two times taking a class or really struggling with certain components and watching that student succeed obviously first making it through culinary school or making it through the day in some cases or making it through the week or making Mm -hmm. it through the course, right? Because I've done all of that. Um, I have students now who are private chefs working for some very fabulous people. Um, I have students doing their own podcasts. I have students who are traveling the world and they're food bloggers. And and, um, I'm really proud to call them chefs. That's a moment for me, like when I can address them as a chef. 
Um, I think on the other hand, when I see a student in the nonprofit space who still acknowledges the mentorship that I provided, that's really special too, because they're not forgetting me. And I know that kind of seems maybe a little bit sappy, but it's special. Like we might've just shared, you know, 60 hours, of tra- 60 hours of training together and you were at a really bad time in your life and you were overwhelmed with whatever it was you were going through. Maybe, you know, some um, domestic violence, um, some issues with your children, um, you know, and, and obviously I've encountered students with very, very severe barriers and, and, and experiences in their lives that were hard to hear sometimes. And then you realize that there you are on Instagram and like they're asking to follow you and you're like, yeah, they still, and that to me, that's a door opening again. Like maybe they still need something, you know, maybe they need a pointer, maybe they need advice, or maybe they just want me to follow them back because they're doing some cool stuff. Um, Those are my favorite stories. Seeing the people that trusted me with teaching them something doing it themselves is the coolest thing ever. I think that's great. I have little shivers all over the place. It's twice you've made me tear up in this conversation. So not that that's <laughs> too unusual for me because I'm a mess, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think that the work that you've done is just super, super great. Um, so now you're over at ACF, American yeah. Culinary Federation. For anybody who's listening who isn't a chef, I didn't know before I entered this whole world. What's ACF? What do they do? How does it help chef chefs? And you know, what are you hoping to? Um, how are you hoping to leave your mark there? Yeah. So American Culinary Federation has been a federation since 1929. So it has years and years of providing educational programming and professional growth opportunities for its members. Um, So I've been a member myself since 1999. And, you know, when we go to convention and we go to summits and we go to meetups, we kind of rejoin our family. Like we really see it in that way. So I'm excited to, you know, go to the next convention and see some of the chefs that you've hosted on this podcast. You know, I know they'll be Mm -hmm. there and we can pick up right where we left off. So I think in short, Um, It's professional development. So our community that wants to jump in and learn a little bit more, make themselves a little bit better, um, stay on trend with things, um, pass that education forward if they're educators, um, that tends to be, you know, who's in the room, so to speak. What do I hope to accomplish? Um, I want to see ACF, uh, again, you know, increase um, its membership and um, reach more diverse backgrounds um, and invite just, again, everybody to the table who wants to make themselves better. I think that's to me what is like the lasting kind of thing that is, is resonating in my career is I'm just jazzed on helping people because people have helped me. And so like, even as a little kid, Like I could recognize that like the coach was a really cool person because the coach, you know, made me a better whatever, right? Made me a better um, drummer, made me a better 
softball player. Um, and I've always been inspired. So I did some coaching myself because I thought that was kind of cool that people would trust you with making them better at something. So that's really what I want to accomplish. I'm, I'm jazzed about uh, ACF members that want to get their certification, maybe want to jump into a competition. Maybe they've been a little tentative. Um, so I'm just jazzed by people who want to improve. Well, and there's a lot of education even in a kind of micro level, right? The different chapters in the different cities. I don't know if cities is the right word, metropolitan areas. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's monthly, right? Like different different topics, different education series, all sorts of sure. stuff that's available. Yeah, you engage on the local level. Even you know, some you, sort of star stuff here and there. Yeah, we hosted you, <laughs> the, yeah, the American yeah. Culinary Federation local mm-hmm. chapter here in Arizona. I think you were one of my first uh, Zoom calls or something than you might have been in the uh, in the pandemic. So yeah, we bring mm-hmm. allergy awareness to the to the members of the chapter. We talk about all kinds of things. Lots um, of topics, yeah. Lots of topics. Yeah. So once again, the common collective goal is we're all in the room because we want to be better, right? Yeah. We want to meet somebody cool that's maybe going to teach us something new, or we just want to hang out with people who have the same chefy brain that we have, right? So <laughs> we're all connected by, by that. So I always like to ask advice questions, but first I need to know if you still play the drums. I wish I could say that I do. I sold my drum kit couple of years ago to the neighbors Oof. who have, I think they have five children. And the only thing they were missing was the drum kit. And I'm like, I got you. So they I sold them my drum kit. So I, so they moved, this is, it's funny. They moved, but for like the first four months after I sold the drum kit, I could hear the drums all day. I'm sure. So I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is hard. Like I could hear them drumming on my drum set. Um, someday I, I will take it up again, maybe a smaller configuration. Cause I was rocking a pretty big Yamaha stage custom, you know, not like Neil Pert level, but I was jamming in my, in my basement in, in Chicago for a while. So, so here's a little known fact about me. I learned how to play the drums left-handed. Wow. Well, I had a boyfriend. I mean, we're way back in the day now, like just out of college and he was a drummer, but he had two drum sets and I wanted to learn and I grew up a dancer. And so you learn by mirroring. That's how dancers learn. And so I had him set up the drum set backwards so that I could watch what he was doing so that I could learn it that way. Because it's easier for my brain, right? But now I can't play anybody's drum set because they're all backwards. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I'd really be able to remember any of it anyway, but fun little fact. Well, six months ago, I'd try to sell you my drum set. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I have two little boys. Uh, Yeah. So much fun though. Like when I, when I first got the kit, I couldn't believe how difficult, you know, all that, you know, yeah, hands and feet doing stuff. So yeah, yeah. it's insane. Fun. It is. It is. But fun. Definitely fun. So, so back to the advice, but I was like, drumming, drumming is fun. Um, so I have a feeling that, that you have already kind of sneakily handed over quite a bit of advice in this conversation to educators, but mm-hmm. if we were to net it out into like, pick a number, three things that, you know, maybe your, your everyday educator could potentially be doing better to service their students. What would those things be? What would those things be? Wow. Oh my goodness. 
educators, special group of people. So if you're listening out there, hats off to you. It takes a lot of patience to be a great, great teacher. Um, you know, I think my, so three words, words of wisdom, I'd say listen to your students would be number one. I don't think I always did that intuitively when I first became a teacher. So educators who are early career educators, I would recommend really put your ego. I don't mean that in a nasty way. We, we all have an mm -hmm. ego. Just put it, just make it priority number two and really listen to the students in your room because they, they're telling you how they learn. They're telling you kind of what's interesting to them. And there's always a way to work that in, which is then going to help build trust. So when you're an early career educator, you're kind of intimidated by this, like, oh my gosh, I'm the expert in the room. And so it feels very much like you're the deliverer of information but it's really precious to be a collaborator and just to kind of like guide the experiences for your students, but let those experiences be more uh, grassroots or more holistic. It's hard to relinquish that control at first because the control you have is like your safety net, but that would be a piece of advice. Number one, like let some of that be a little bit more, um, I guess, organic. I think number two, preparation is key. I would say the best lessons, the best classes, the best, you know, programs I ever ran were the ones that I was super prepared for, because if I'm super prepared going in, um, my students are then going to kind of pick up on that just by default. And they tend to be better listeners, learners, um, you know, in the, in the moment, if they're prepared. Well, and it shows that you care and that it's important to you. Yeah. And I think structure is critically important in a kitchen and timeliness. And so as a teacher, as an educator, just really almost like rehearsing your, your lines, if you will, and how you're going to move from the entry point of your lesson, kind of the what's, why is this important that we're learning about emulsions? I use emulsions again as an example, but, and then moving to the demo quickly and being very thoughtful about, these are the three things. You, I'm gonna do seven things today, everyone, but these are the two things that are the most important. So when I am poaching those eggs and building the plate garnishes, those are the two things I really want you to focus on. And then building to a really good, concise closure. Like every lesson, every day is like its own thing and making sure that you're thoughtful about the preparation opening middle and close. And then you'll have a better chance of really holding your students accountable to the things that are measurable in terms of the outcomes that you delivered every day. And I think lastly, I would say reflection is critically important. Um, you know, when your students do those end of class evaluations, um, take to heart the constructive criticism that you're getting but don't over-focus on that. Um, spend just as much time reflecting on all the great stuff that you did. I think a lot of times as an educator, we tend to like bury ourselves in doubt when somebody thought we weren't great, right? Or thought we were whatever, moving too fast through things or moving too slowly through things. So when you're given feedback from your students, spend just as much time giving yourself the attaboy, a girl. Than mm -hmm. the, oh my God, I'm horrible. And 
this student said this and, and I'm my own, I need to take that advice to myself because as an educator, especially competing with teams of students, like losing is rough. Yeah, no um, doubt. And, I, and I'd like to say I, 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 it was easy to, oh yeah, no problem. We lost. We're just going to get right back in. It's hard to internalize and then reflect and then move past it. Right? It's okay to, to feel bad about the bad stuff as long as you feel good about the good stuff too. Exactly. Right? One of my sons plays golf and if he hits a really bad shot or whatever, he'll like slam his club on the ground. So then when he hits a really great shot, I tell him, well, you better slam that club on the ground. You better give that the same energy that you gave the bad shot. That's my point. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's not, well, and what's really interesting, (laughs) we talked about, yeah, he's like, yeah, mom, whatever. Mm -hmm. But no, when you asked me about drumming, let's go back to that for one second. Yeah, that's Because I was learning how to drum. I went to take lessons and I told my students, I'm like, I got to go. You guys better be cleaned up by six o'clock because I got to go. I got to go to drum lessons. And they're like, (laughs) chef, are you trying to be cool? I'm like, I'm really not trying to be cool. This is something I've always wanted to do, but I had a drum teacher who was half my age. And one of the things that was really cool about that was being a learner again, Mm. really during those moments. And I took lessons for a little bit. It was like two years. Wow. What a great teacher I was. I think during that time because Because you are being taught yeah and I'd go home and I'd be like oh my god this guy's beating me up because I I'm fumbling around on the 16th and I'm messing up the blah 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 and he wants me to learn this bossa nova and that's boring (laughs) to me I just want to play some queen you know and so um being a learner myself made me really like ultra hyper aware of all my students negative negative speak because I was doing it to myself right for sure I love yeah. that I was going to ask you for advice on stu- for students too but I, I I like the educator advice I, yeah, and I think it's probably applicable to executive chefs who aren't technically educators because they are yeah, you know, my favorite thing is, um, it's not a quote I made up by any stretch of the imagination, but it's one that I found somewhere. It's uh, like progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably sh- truncating it. But I used to say that to my students, like, you're watching me do something, okay? And I would like to think that I'm pretty good at it, which is why I'm the one that has been trust entrusted with teaching it to you. But when you're watching me do it, Don't be intimidated by how well I'm doing it because it's going to take you a little bit to get there. And I'm your partner in this. Yeah. Like I'm your partner in this. So tomorrow I'm going to egg you on because it's a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And then by Friday, you don't need me anymore because you already know how to do that. But like to walk into the experience already frustrated because you can't do it as well as I'm doing it is where all that negative speak starts happening. And so I'd really make sure that my students were reflecting on, I need you to make progress. It doesn't need to be perfect. Mine's not perfect, but they're looking at it like it is, right? Yeah. Like, wow, I wish I could make a Burblanc like Chef does, or how does she do it? Like, well, if it should be a little bit effortless because that's the subject matter expert, right? Yeah. But my favorite was I had a student, a foreign student, 
he, um, at the end of the day, all the students, you know, putting their knives back in their knife kits and gathering their books and their binders and all that. And I look and I see on the cover of his binder, you know how there's often like a plastic sleeve so you can put like a piece of paper to sort of label the cover of your binder. Mm -hmm. He had written in his Sharpie marker, progress, not perfection. So it was the cover sheet of his binder. And I saw it with all of his stuff as everybody's putting stuff together. And I was like, yes, right? Winning. Because if that's what he's rehearsing in his mind we're all doing something right here that's awesome so cool I love that so much it's hearing up again over there no not that time you almost had me but (laughs) it was close Uh, three times in an episode would be like a new record and I should just stop doing this but although (laughs) although somebody who helps with the podcast uh said to me at some point people like tears oh <laughs> all right because that means we're people too right we are people yeah all right so tell everybody how they can connect with you and with acf online of course yes yeah. so um acfchefs.org is the uh, federation's website um we can talk there you can find my information when you do the national staff when you click on national staff you'll see me there click on that and you'll have access to my email easy enough yep easy enough so then we come to the part where we have two truths and a lie and i know that the number of truths here are up for debate so (laughs) give us three facts about yourself however many of those can be true that you want okay you got new rules i have new rules and don't tell us the answers i will not tell you the answer so i'm so i have you asked for you know three things right Mm -hmm. so i'm going to tell you three things um so I am a vegetarian. I am a motorcyclist. I am a native New Yorker. Okay. I like it. Very simple, easy. Sometimes we get whole long stories, sometimes like you, right? You know, super simple uh, facts. I love it. And (laughs) I am so glad to have had you here. Thank you so much for your insight and for your conversation. I think that this was a fabulous conversation. Listeners, I hope that you agree. Chef Dina Altieri, thank you for being here. Listeners, as always, this has been the Shandyland Podcast. Thanks for sticking around and we'll talk to you soon. 